Well, a big welcome and good morning to our C3 Powerhouse Melbourne East family. We love you guys. Great to have you with us. Glad that you could join with us. We've spent a bit of time with your pastors, Dan and Ebony, this week, dreaming and talking and praying about 2023. We had a great time together, and I trust that today's already been a great start to your service, and I'm looking forward to getting to preach this morning to all of us. So thank you to the Musos in Melbourne. You can go. Musos here, you've done a great job. Put your hands together for all the musicians, all the singers all the production team, all the sound guys, all the camera team, all of the multimedia team. You're all incredible. We love you heaps. We love you. We love you. Uh, today we're launching a series called Created for Connection. Created for Connection. And due to popular demand, there's, I've, been, I've received a few jokes that, uh, that, that people have been begging for me to share with you today. So just, just to kick us off, I know you love this part of the service. So, so here we go. Here's the first one. My wife says that I wasted my money by ordering a three-meter wide frame for our wedding photo. I just told her you need to step back and look at the bigger picture. Oh, come on. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, my wife and I often laugh about how competitive we are, but I laugh more. Uh-huh. How many competitive people we got here? Come on. I know you are. Last one. The therapist said to my friend, I think you have a phobia of, mad- of marriage. Do you know what the symptoms are? He said, can't say I do. Therapist said, that's one of them. That's one of the symptoms. You see what it is? Okay. All right. Thank you. We'll move on this morning. I want you to know, I, I want you to know that we are created for connection. It's the way that God who is three in one, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three in one. He is all about connection. The Bible tells us God is love, and He's connected in relationship and fellowship together. And so when He created us, He created us in His likeness for intimacy and relational connection. Interestingly, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, after God had created Adam and created the world's And all the most beautiful things that you could eat and see and look at. He created mangoes. Come on. He created steak, although I'm not sure. Anyway, he created just lots of good things. And and he walked with Adam every day. And then this is what it says in Genesis 2 verse 18. Then the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Because he'll obviously stuff it up on his own. No, no, no. That's not what he said. It's not good for the man to be alone. I did read just by the by. I just read uh, someone, do we know is Google male or female? And they said, we know Google's female because she finishes the questions. <laughs> anyway, sorry, just, just so bad. Anyway, it's not good for the man to be alone. That was one each because he'll stuff it up. Anyway, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's not good. Now, here you go. Here's Adam. He's with God. There's no fallen creation. Everything's perfect. He gets to talk to God face to face. How many people think that's going to be pretty awesome? But God says to him, it's not good that you're alone. But he's like, I'm not alone. I've got you, God. He goes, no, it's not good that you're alone without other people. And sometimes in church, I've heard songs like, Jesus, you're all we need. But that doesn't ring true with this verse. Because it's not all we, we need God. And now here's the, here's, the, here's the start. You and I were created for connection with God. 
We were created to be in relationship with God. There'll be a, uh, Billy Graham used the phrase, there'll be a God-shaped hole in the heart of every person until we enter into a relationship with God. When we have that relationship with God, we discover our purpose. When we have that relationship with God, we discover a peace that's beyond understanding. When you've got that relationship with God, you've got a friend and a guide and you'll get to spend, you'll, you'll have this God who's for you and helping you and pouring His love into you. That's the, that's the, the, the relationship we're created for primarily. And at the end of this service, there'll be an opportunity. If you don't have a relationship with God, there'll be a moment. One of our team will lead us in a prayer, inviting God into our life. It will be a game changer. But interestingly, out of that, God says, I'm not enough for you. Just you and me is not enough. You need more. It's not good that you're alone. That's because you are created for connection. Uh, in recent surveys, out of, eight out of 10 Australians have been saying that loneliness is increasing in their lives. Recent survey uh, showed that the 18 to 24 year olds are the most lonely uh, in, our, in our society, in our community. Random because we're more digitally connected than we've ever been. But loneliness and a lack of intimacy, a lack, a lack of friendship is a, a roaring epidemic in our world today. So what's the Bible say? How does the Bible tell us? So God tells us we're made for relationship. It's not good for us to be alone. And over the next little while in our church, a few weeks, we're going to talk about all sorts of relationships and friendships. And today I'm going to talk about three kinds of relationships that all of us need to cultivate. Uh, as I said, we're going to have an opportunity to talk about building emotional intimacy in the next few weeks. We're going to talk about family life and modern family life with all its bumps and warts. We're going to talk about families. It's going to be awesome. But three types of relationships. Let's have a look into this. Melbourne, are you ready? We're going to lean into three types of relationships we all need. The first one, uh, and I'm giving them Bible names and then I'll explain. You can maybe look these up later on, but we all need this type of relationship. It's some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. All right, you're like, what, what, and what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right, Shad these, are, these are three Bible characters that are recorded in the book of Daniel. And they were a young Hebrew men who were plucked out of Jerusalem, taken into captivity. They were, they were, the Bible says they were, they were good-looking young men. Some, who knows what that feels like? Okay, I see those hands. Toby, John Owen, I see your hands. Fantastic, awesome. Uh, and they had an aptitude to learn. They were able to, and they were being trained in the way of the Babylonians. And they were, they were essentially slaves, but they were being promoted. So Daniel and his friends were being promoted. And so they were given, uh, Hebrew, they were given these uh, Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego. And, and they, they were friends with Daniel. And so they went into a three-year training program to learn all the customs of the land that they were now placed into so that they could become effective royal servants and leaders and governors. And so they, they gave them this, uh, this kind of a, a bit of food to eat or this, this program to go into. And the first thing we find is Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the, loyal, the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official the permission not to defile himself this way. And he goes on and he says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's their, their Hebrew names. 
Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. This is where the Daniel fast kind of gets its language. And here's the idea of it. Uh, that basically, the food was being offered to idols. It was being polluted. It was, being, it, was, it was representative of another culture. And they said, we're not gonna have that kind of diet in our lives. We're gonna live a different kind of diet and we're gonna eat a particular way because we wanna honour God with our lives. Later on, there's, there's three different moments. So they've, they've choose a different lifestyle, but they choose to live it together. Later on, when Daniel's getting threatened to, uh, the king has a dream and no one can remember it. And, and the, the king says, Daniel, uh, you need to remember this or everybody's going to get killed. And we find he goes and tells his friends, and this is verse, this is verse 18 of Daniel chapter 2. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with all the other wise men. So they hit a crisis and these four guys cry out together. First thing is they choose a different lifestyle and diet. The second thing is they, when they hit a crisis, they pray and they seek God together. And then the last moment is when uh, the, the king makes his great big statue and says, everybody's got to bow down to it or be thrown into the fiery furnace. And you find that in a crowd of thousands of people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing tall, no, and maybe not bowing, not, not uh, compromising, but saying, no, we're only going to serve God. We're not going to bow down. And Now, I don't know the dynamics of their relationship. I don't know if, if one of them was one, more of a thinker, if one of, them was, one of them was a little timid, if one of them was just bold and brazen. I can imagine maybe uh, Meshach's kind of like, oh, we're not going to bow down. He's kind of a bit aggressive or just stuff them and maybe somebody else is a little more fragile and, and someone else has kind of got, really got a fear of fires, uh, if you know what I'm talking about. But, but together, there's something about them standing together side by side. And, and even if one's tempted to bow, not, none of them are bowing. And so the first kind of friends that we all need in our life are some Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednego's. We need friends, and they're not necessarily our leaders. They're not necessarily people that we're leading. They're people who are running the race with us. But because they're running the race with us, we go further than we would go on our own. We, we push ourselves harder. I do some, some fitness uh, stuff, and, and this is the reality of it. I, I, I hate running, but I've run 7Ks with a friend just because he pushed me harder and, and distracted me, and we just we ran together. You'll go further together with other people. And so all of us need some friends. We need some Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednego. We need some friends who, when crisis hits, will stand with us and say, we're going to pray with you to see this through. We need some friends who, when we're tempted to pull out of the lifestyle that we know is honoring to God, who are going to challenge us and say, no, that's not the life. That's your old lifestyle. That's the old way you used to live. But together we're running with God. We need some friends who refuse to partake in what the world's offering. Some friends who say to us, you know what? I know everybody's doing it, but I'm not doing it and you're not doing it because we're choosing a higher way. We need some friends who are going to have made a decision to live different, to live for a higher purpose, to live for something greater than themselves, to live for the kingdom of God, to build the church together, to, to lay our lives down together. We need some friends 
who will refuse to bow down when Goliath begins to shout at them. We need some friends who will say, I'm going to stand with you in the middle of this crisis and we're not going to be intimidated because we know together God causes all things to work together for good. We need some friends who will encourage us in the promises of God, to be in church together, to be in the Word of God together, to be in prayer together. Some friends who encourage us to share our faith and get some fire in our bellies. Some friends who say, come on, we need to press into God and believe Him for revival in our lives. Friends who say the world's going that way, but I'm going that way. I'm swimming upstream because of who I'm called to be. Friends who can see who we're going to become but re- and see the mistakes we're making, but still believe the best in us. We need some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of friends. Where do you find those kind of friends? Great question. I believe you, you find them in, in, in places where people have got a similar interest, a sim- similar values, who are, who are living for something greater than themselves. I believe church is a great place to find friends like that. If you're looking for those kind of friends, I'd suggest that you get on a team in church and, and find someone who's laying down their life for somebody else's benefit. I, c- I suggest you get in a connect group and hang out, hang out with some people. And what you'll find is not every one of them will become your Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, but one or two will. One or two will resonate with you. One or two will be like uh, the the kind of people you can run together with. I remember as a 20-year-old going to university uh, in Toowoomba, meeting with a group of guys, and we made a decision, the things that I've talked about, that we're going to seek God and live a countercultural kind of life. We're going to live a life that was marked by destiny, not just by what I can get out of my life, marked by making a difference, not just by trying to be successful. I've, I've determined and I want, I, we had determined together that we're going to live a life of significance, not just success. And so we'd meet every Saturday morning and pray together. We pray for one another and we believe at six o'clock on Saturday morning, who knows that was, that's revival for, for a 19-year-old, 20-year-old to get up and pray on a Saturday morning. But we made a determination and still today, 30 years later, these guys are my friends. Why? Because we got locked together and prayed together and I, had, I found my Shadrach, Meshachs and Abednego's. Now, the fascinating thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Shadrach, slow it down, Pastor, Meshach and Abednego was when they got thrown into the greatest trial of their life. They got thrown into the fiery furnace, the Bible tells us. But they weren't singed or burnt. The Bible says they didn't even smell like fire. And then when the king looked down into, the, into that place, he saw a fourth person, and the Bible says, who looked like a God. It was Jesus. This is what happens when you find some friends to run with. This is what happens when you find some people to walk with. Jesus shows up in the middle of your fellowship. He shows up in the middle of your, of your time together. The Bible says, if two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of you. We need some friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on, say it fast. <laughs> Melbourne, you know you do. Come on, if you're watching online, put it in the chat. All right, all right. Your shack, my shack, and into the bed we go. No, not that one. All right. Jethro, number two. Number two. We all need some Jethros in our life. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, you need some Jethros. Turn to the other neighbor, your second favorite neighbor, you didn't turn to and say, I don't even know who Jethro is. All right, here we go. Jethro. 
Jethro is a representative of mentors and coaches. Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. Moses' father-in-law. Okay, I'm a father-in-law now. I, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to convince my two daughters-in-laws to call me dad. I know it hasn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm working it. I'm like, you know, I'll pass them some salt and pepper at the table and go, thanks, dad. And I just haven't quite caught on, but I'm, I'm working on it. So Moses' father-in-law is Jethro. And Jethro is a priest. He's a Midian priest. And so uh, Moses... You know, the, the story of the Bible tells us he leads the children of Egypt out of, out of captivity. They go through the Red Sea. It opens up, swallows all of the Egyptians. It's this phenomenal moment. And they get to the other side. And, and then God starts doing miracles. Water comes and, and, and things begin to happen. And, and Moses' father-in-law comes to, to see him and brings his daughter and his kids to him in this particular instance. And I want us to pick it up in Exodus chapter 18, verse 8 to 10. It says, Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptian for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. All right, Moses, Moses was bragging up about all the awesome things God's done, and he was complaining up. It's like, this has been really hard. This has been awesome. You should have seen when the, when the opened up. You should have seen those uh, Pharaoh say, get out of here. You should have seen this, the, the dust from the chariots and we were freaking out. But you should have seen what God did when I held the, the, the rod out. And he's, he's telling all these awesome stories and he's sharing in his life someone. And watch what happens. And Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of Egyptians. He said, praise be the Lord who rescued from you from, from them and rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. So the first thing you want to note about having some Jethro's in your life is they need to be people that when you tell the great things that are happening in your life, they're happy for you. They're not like, well, that's not bad, but you should have remembered back 20 years ago when I was leading the sheep. That's not what he's talking about. You've got to find someone who celebrates your success, who wants the best for you, who is cheering you on. So that's the, that's the first criteria for mentors and coaches in our life, all right? They'll cheer us on. Now he, go, now he goes on, so he's celebrating success. He's not threatened. And then he begins to hang out with him and, and he watches what he does. And Moses go, every day would go and he'd sit out and there's three million Egyptian uh, Israelites and he would sit out and they would come one by one in a massive long queue and come and tell him their problems. This is what's going on. So-and-so took my tent. So-and-so took my spot. Oh my gosh, what a nightmare it must have been. Uh, or, or even worse, you know, uh, murders and all sorts of theft and all sorts of different challenges and issues that are going on in families. And he's like the judge of all of them and they bring him their problems. And they're out in the hot sun and it's wearing them down. And it's wearing Moses down. And, Moses, and Jethro watches for a day and then they have, at the end of the day, they have de a debrief drinks. Well, I'm just making that up. But anyway, at the end of the day, it says here, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people will come to, who come to you will only wear yourselves out. 
The work's too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Now listen to me. I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. You, let, Let you be the people's representative. You stand before God for them. Teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way to live and how to behave, but select others. And he goes on and he says, you need to delegate. You need to empower. You need to let other people deal with all this because if you don't, you're going to wear yourself out over a period of time and then you'll be good for nobody. And he gives him some specific instruction of the kind of people for him to delegate to. Jethro, all right. So all of us in different areas of our life, it might be in our marriage and our family. It might be in our finances, our career, our business. It might be in your spiritual walk. Uh, and your spiritual growth as your uh, transformed life. Uh, it, maybe it's in a, a ministry or a leadership thing that you're, you do or you're called to. All of us need someone who will celebrate our success, but someone we give permission to say, hey, what you're doing is not good. That's not, that's not going to work. Someone who's further down the track than us, someone who's got the fruit in their life that we would like, and someone that God can use to coach and to speak into our world. All of us need those. Not just one, but multitudes of those. I've been blessed in my life with, with many coaches and mentors over a number of years. And people, I remember when I, the first business I worked in out of university, I worked for a guy called Barry. And Barry, was, he was a classic, he was an innovator. He'd started about five businesses. He was always on to the next. You know, Barry was the sort of guy who I remember one particular day, uh, someone said, oh, I said, where's Barry? He's in the kitchen. We're in a clothing factory, manufacturing clothing. And he's like, he's there making toasted sandwiches. But the way he's making toasted sandwiches is he had the sandwich, but he got an iron, turned on the iron and sat it on top of the sandwiches. That is just typical Barry. Everything is an innovation. There's no problem too hard. If he wants to toast things, he was researching seaweed and making up inventions and create. He was an inventor. He started. He's actually started near Toowoomba at a place called Emu Gully Farm that does adventure education for for kids and schools and army people. And so I learned from Barry just through proximity and being around him how to innovate how to take risks, how to find creative solutions, how to keep being forward thinking and to dream. That was a mentor. See, you'll probably find that there's not one mentor or coach who's going to teach you everything. But there are different people, and the Bible talks about the counsel of wisdom in our life. And there are different people that we can plug into. I remember, I remember Don Easton, was when I first became a pastor, the very first time, he's a pastor on the Gold Coast. He was our overseer and mentor. I remember having lunch with him in Caloundra. I remember the spot because it was burned into me. And I was having some challenges and th- some things weren't going really good in church. And I did, and it was some people were doing stuff. And, and he just talked to me and said, you actually just need to have a coaching conversation with them. I'm like, whoa, what? What's that mean? He goes, no, you need to sit down and, and just care with kindness, kind of talk about that behavior and why that's not helping other people and, and have a, what he called a carefrontation moment. And I'm like, no, everything on the inside of me wanted to avoid conflict. Everything wanted to run away. But I needed a mentor saying, what you're doing is not good. Tolerating and hoping things are going to change is not the way to lead. You've got to, you've got to deal with things directly. And so I benefited from a mentor leaning into my life. And all of us need those kind of people. All of us need those kind of people so that we can go. And so really it becomes, and particularly with mentors and all of them, we need to f- chase them and find them and look after them. But I, this is the question I'd say. How do you pick your mentors? 
Well, I'd say you look at the fruit of their life. Do you like the fruit of their marriage? Do you like the fruit of their family? Do you like the fruit in their finances? Do you like the fruit of the, the way they carry themselves? Do, do you, so is what they're doing working? Because you can be an expert on paper, but it's not working in your life. Do you like the, do you like the holistic fruit around their world? And so you seek them out and ask them and, and, and pursue them. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. So we all need some Shadrach, Meshachs and Abednego's. We all need some Jethro's, three types of relationship we all need. Who's thinking of a Jethro in your life right now? Someone who's been a mentor and a coach. Who's thinking of someone? Because if you don't have one, you're, you're just going to stumble along in the dark, hoping to make it. The third one is we all need some Mephibosheths. Okay, turn to your neighbor and no, don't even bother. Don't worry about it. Mephibosheth. And you're like, what? We're learning Bible here today, church. We're learning about different people in the Bible. So Mephibosheth is another character in the Bible. David's the king. He displaces Saul. Uh, Saul's grandson is Mephibosheth. David's, old, say with me, I know it's like days of our lives. David's old best friend, Jonathan's son. David's best friend, Jonathan, gets killed in war. Uh, David becomes king. They run thinking because every time a new king kicks in, he'll wipe out the last king's family and, her and all their heirs and all their children so that they won't rise up and, and fight back. And so they run thinking David's going to kill this little kid Mephibosheth. They drop him while they're running and his feet get broken and he becomes a cripple. And he gets looked after by a, a, a guy called Zeba. And Zeba looks after Mephibosheth and his family. And David finds, and he determines, because he's a kind person and he wants to be kind to his friend Jonathan, is whose, whose descendants are left? And one of them's called Mephibosheth. And so he says, go and bring him to me. And he comes into the king's courtroom thinking he's going to get killed. Thinking this is, because this is what kings would do. Thinking he's going to be wiped out. And David says, no, I'm not going to wipe you out. Your father, Jonathan, was one of my best friends. His father was a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to David, someone who believed in him, someone who championed him, someone who ran with him. And so he said, I'm going to look after you. And I love what it says. Uh, Zeba, who was the servant, replied, yes, my lord, the king, I'm your servant. This is 2 Samuel 9, verse 11. And I will do all that you've commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. I love this story. I, lo I love this story. I, I love that what should have been an enemy suddenly not only gets invited over once, but now he's at Christmas lunch. Now he's, now he's at, at, at the table every night along with the sons. He, he, you can hear him coming because he's, he's crippled. You can hear the, the sound of him walking and dragging his feet into, into uh, to the table. And, and you, can, you can see the sons going, who's this guy? Why are we being so kind to him? And David's saying, we're being kind to him because I made a promise to his father that I would be kind to him. Jesus said it like this. He turned to a host in Luke 14, 12 to 14. He says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors because they'll invite you back. That will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. I love this. This, this is the heartbeat of Christianity. 
This, this is, you can tell the Christian kids at school because they go and hang out with the kid who's not cool and include them in their world. You can tell the Christian kids at university because there's some kids who just don't fit in with the cool crowd and they make a determined effort to go and hang out with them. You can tell the mark of a church because it's not just everybody looks the same, but there are people from all walks of life, all challenges, the rich, the poor, and everything in between. Some who just don't kind of fit in. Now, just, I just want to say this for a moment. If someone invites you out for lunch, that doesn't mean they think you're a Mephibosheth. All right, so don't get triggered because, some, because five people today ask you out for lunch, all right? Don't get, that's just where a friendly church who loves one another, all right? But this is what it, this is what a, this is what it looks like. It's not a, not a physical thing. Maybe they're just younger in their faith. Maybe they're just older in age and haven't got family around supporting them. Maybe they live on the Sunshine Coast and their family lives a long way away and they're young or they're single or a single mom and they just need inclusion and someone to be grandparents for their kids because the grandparents are not around. Maybe, maybe uh, they're just not cool. Maybe, they're just, maybe they just look a little different, but you make a decision. And this is what an inclusive church community looks like. You make a decision to include people. You make a decision to love on people. You make a decision to, to spend time with them. I remember again when I was working for Barry in Victoria, a young guy called Scott. Barry was very much this kind of guy who would, who would throw lifelines to people. And Scott was homeless before, uh, you know, in, in regional country Victoria. He would sleep in a tent. He would smoke pot. Uh, he, he'd drop acid. He, he, and he'd come into work and he, and he looked wild, woolly, and ragged. And I was out of a conservative Christian home and I looked exactly the opposite. And so, but we made a, we just made up a bit of friendship. And before long, I would have Scott to my place at, for a meal and we'd watch something and then he'd have me to his tent and I'd have a passive drag of whatever he was having at that particular time. And we'd, we, would just, we would just connect and we would just talk. No judgment here, people. And so we, we, would, we would just hang out in Nyora, Victoria. And over a period of time, just we built a friendship. He became a friend. And out of that friendship, he recognized, he just, he'd see all these things when he'd have a, a, a trip and, he, and, he'd re, and like hell and demons were revealed to him. And he just, I remember he watched this video that we had that was called, or something about not wanting to go to hell. And, and essentially he's like, that's me. I want to become a Christian because I don't want to go to the places I go when I, when I have some sort of acid trip. He got saved. He got on fire for God. He became a youth leader. It just His life got turned around. Now, why? It wasn't because I'm looking for people like me to be friends with. But God, who's, who's a Mephibosheth? You only need a few. But who's some people that I can show love to who can't reward me? Who's some people that it's not social climbing for me to hang out with them? Who's some people that I can care for and care into their world? I want to ask you, have you got those three kind of relationships in your life? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some friends who will make you go further than you'd go on your own. Have you got some Jethro's, some wise counselors, some people giving you wisdom? And have you got some Mephibosheths, people you reach out to, people you look out to? So my last question on this is, how do we cultivate those kind of relationships? Because we're created for connection. A, real, a, a furniture salesman recently uh, showed some people a sofa and said, hey, uh, this sofa will seat five people without any problems. 
And the friend said, where the heck am I going to find five people without any problems? They're not, not possible. I don't know what's going on. All right. So don't look for problem-free friends. They don't exist. All right. But what do you do? Three, three quick thoughts. The number one is if you're going to develop great, meaningful relationships, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. They just don't happen. So being intentional looks a little bit like this. Sometimes it's worth doing a relationship audit. Maybe you could go home today and go, who's the Jethro's in my life? Write a list. Who are the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's in my life? Write a list. Who are the Mephibosheths? Who are the people I'm just showing love and kindness to in my life on a consistent basis? And if your list is out of whack, then start to be intentional about changing it. If you've got some friends from your past that are dragging you back and they're not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe it's time to make some changes. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Stop fooling yourselves. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. Maybe the friendship audit includes your social media. Whoa, okay, maybe. Yeah, I felt the conviction came there. Maybe there's just some friends that, that you're, you're reaching out in kindness to. You're not burning them, but you know that that relationship is going to pull you back into a way of life you don't want to live anymore, and you're just having a friendship audit. So you, you're intentional. Number two, you, you, are, you initiate. Proverbs 18, 24, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. So if you want friends, you've got to take the initiative. You've got to, if you want a mentor, you just got to find someone and, and don't say, will you be my mentor? That might scare them off. Just have them over for a coffee, have a meal, just and, and ask them some questions and write those questions down and say, thanks so much and tell them why you're having a coffee. I really admire you. I really like what you've got going on in your, in your marriage. And I'd, I'd love to know just what would be three things that have worked really well in your marriage that I could learn from and just begin a conversation. Three things in your finances, three things in the ministry that God's called you to. Take initiative towards that. So you take initiative and the last thing is you have to invest. Investing means a consistent uh, commitment to relationships, that, which means sometimes rather than a big broad focus, you narrow down into some specific people who you're regularly investing in that relationship. Can we close our eyes together right now? Father, I just thank you for every person here, every person in Melbourne, every person who's watching online. God, I know you created us for connection. And so I pray by the Spirit of God that you'd help us have the courage to reach out. Have the courage to take initiative. Help us, Holy Spirit, not get stuck in isolation. Sometimes the thing that stops us is we just have such a poor self-esteem. We think no one will want to be friends with us. That's such a lie. That'll stop you. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to grow in our relationships. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, church. God bless you. Thanks, Teresa.